0: Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's Dr. Lee Warren here with you on Self Brain Surgery Saturday. Brand new episode for you today. I know it's been a couple of days since we had brand new content and I've been hearing from you. Heard from somebody in my office the other day that was happy with their health care, but mad that I hadn't had a new podcast out in a day or two. So I see you and I hear you. We have been working through some incredible technological upgrades and some challenges and of course, Whenever you upgrade something, there's always some sort of software problem. and So we're working on it. We're coming. I'm glad that you're with us today. And we're going to talk about sadness today. I want to just give you a little insight into something. That the holidays are a natural time, for, especially if you've been through some kind of massive thing. It's a natural time for there to be a lot of emotion, a lot of things to remember, a lot of looking back a lot of loneliness, all those things. And I just want to talk a little bit about the fact that we're always talking about how important it is to become healthier and feel better and be happier and all that stuff. I'm always telling you to change your mind and change your life. But I don't want you to forget that even Jesus wept. And it's okay to feel what you feel. You just have to remember that feelings aren't facts. So sometimes you have to get above what you're feeling, examine it, be careful with it, not just respond or react to it all the time. But it is normal and part of the human experience To be sad and to deal with hard things and then there's a healthy way to do that so we're going to talk a little bit today on sadness saturday just to be aware and be mindful of the fact that there are some people around us at the holidays that are struggling and having some things to think and feel and if you're one of those people i just want to encourage you today we're going to look at elizabeth kubler ross's stages of grief we're going to talk about some lyrics from an old U2 song. We're going to talk about some things from the Renovare newsletter that I get every week. And, and we're going to cover a lot of ground in just a few minutes. But before we do any of that, my friend, I have one question for you. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place, Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. Let's get after it. Hey, I get a newsletter every week from an organization called Renovare. And Renovare is was started by Richard Foster, who's been on the podcast before. And he has written some of my favorite spiritual discipline books. Celebration of Discipline is his most famous one. But his organization is just a spiritual formation organization. And their newsletter is great. And you can sign up for it at Renovare. Um, that's R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E, renovare dot org renovare dot org so renovare uh, has this newsletter that comes out every week often written by brian morican who's the director of communications there and today he just hit it on the head with some things i was already thinking about related to advent and uh, this time of year and just how things feel and so we we talk a lot about on this podcast and in my newsletter and in my books about how feelings aren't facts there's a lot of things that your brain throws at you and you feel something, and the problem with feelings is there's a limited palette of human emotional triggers, neurotransmitters that make you feel certain things. And whenever a particular neurotransmitter event happens in your brain, you attach a lot of meaning to it, but the meaning is attached based on past experiences and memories. And so you feel something like fear, for example. We've talked about this a million times. But you feel something that feels like fear, And it could be because there's actually, you know, a bear in your house or a murderer, an axe murderer, a scary clown wielding an axe or something, whatever you're scared of. It could be that there's really a threat or it could be that you're just perceiving a threat based on an experience or an irrational fear that you had in the past. Or you could just be worried about something that you know you're going to have to deal with in the future or that you might have to deal with in the future or something that somebody said or may have said. But all those feelings feel the same. So I just try to make the point that fear feels like fear because it's a chemical event in your brain, okay? And it doesn't matter whether the fear that you're feeling is because of a real threat or an irrational worry, something from the past that's been brought up to you or triggered by a memory that's been triggered. Fear feels like fear, right? But the problem is sometimes those feelings actually aren't what they seem to be. C.S. Lewis famously said the very first line of his book, "A Grief Observed, after his wife died, nobody ever told me that grief feels so much like fear. Nobody ever told me grief feels like fear. It feels like fear. Now what does that mean? It means that sometimes the emotional experience that you're having chemically is similar to another experience, but they're not the same thing. They just Feel the same. And that's why I make the point all the time. Feelings aren't facts. What they require is self-brain surgery. They require you to biopsy them and understand why you're feeling what you're feeling and make the right diagnosis. So we don't want to make a bad operation based on a bad diagnosis, right? So one of the ways of becoming healthier and feeling better and being happier and managing our lives is not to deny that we feel things. But to be careful diagnosticians, just like a good surgeon would be. If you're one of the Society of Self-Brain Surgery members, then this is something we're going to drill into with the paid content. And by the way, you can become a paid member of the podcast to help support and promote and help us buy all this new gear that we need to do the video and all the things that we're doing. If you want to join us and become a paid member, you can get the membership at... That's slash join, J-O-I-N, wleewarrenmd.com slash join. There's going to be all kinds of great things for the paid subscribers as you help me write the next book for self-brain surgery. So if you're one of those people, you're going to get some extra content. We're going to go a little deeper on this, wleewarrenmd.com slash join. Nevertheless, we teach this procedure called the bad thought biopsy or just the thought biopsy procedure. We talk a lot about it in my new book, Hope is the First Dose. And as a further aside, I just found out this morning, I can't believe I didn't already know this, but if you are a member, if you're a paid member of Spotify, if you listen to music or podcasts or whatever on Spotify, if you happen to be a premium member of Spotify, you can get all my books, audio books for free as part of your membership to Spotify. Just randomly on Spotify this morning, listening, doing some worship, listening to my friend Tommy Walker's song, uh, a couple of his songs this morning. And I noticed a little pop-up for audiobooks, and I checked on it and I found Beth Moore's new memoirs on there for free. And I thought, I wonder if my book's available. And I typed it in and sure enough, you can listen to my book with no additional charge if you're a Spotify premium member. So if you haven't read Hope is the First Dose or I've seen The Interview or any of my books, and you are a member of Spotify already, you don't have to buy it through Amazon or anywhere else. You can go right to Spotify and find that book. So I thought that was really cool. Nevertheless, as I said in my book, Hope is the First Dose, we can learn how to biopsy our thoughts. And sometimes they're true, okay? And sometimes the thought that you're having that's, that's, that's prevailing in your mind and keeping you, giving you difficulty concentrating or dealing with something, sometimes that thought is actually true. An example of mine Happened yesterday. I'm just going to be real vulnerable and real honest with you for a few minutes here. I woke up yesterday, and I was sad, and I didn't know why. I was I was literally had tears coming out of my eyes when I woke up yesterday morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I got up and began to do my Bible study and my worship time, and I was weeping. And I, I looked at mitch's picture. I talked to Jesus about it. I didn't really understand. I know this is we're getting close to the 11th Christmas since we lost him. And I was just sad. And then I started biopsying my thinking. Why am I sad? Nothing happened today to make me sad. And then I remembered the day before I received an email from a family um, that don't have their permission to share the story. So I hope to get that. out. I, I actually would love to share this story with you sometime. But But they had a little child, young child, brilliant kid, doing well in school, doing well in sports. And one day playing sports and the next day, collapses and goes to the icu and ends up passing away from a really rare disease that just showed up and in one day took this child's life and they sent a link to a video where the child had uh, done some singing and it was an amazing beautiful talented young child and then uh, a link to the memorial service and lisa and i watched that stuff when y'all send it to us um and we listened to this memorial service and people talking about this young child's life. And the big question was just why? Like, why, God, why does this happen? Why do these things occur? We don't know and we don't understand and we just can't make sense of it. And so I recognized that I had that empathy and that another family is going through that recent loss of a child. And so I understand that right before I went to sleep on Friday, I had you know those, those kinds of thoughts in my head. So obviously, emotionally, my brain linked up my feeling of having lost my son Mitch with the loss of this child from this other family, and I have this this empathy and all that. So I wake up and I'm tearful, and I don't know why. And here's what happens. Okay, what happens is when you feel an emotion, then your brain says, "Oh, when that chemical event occurs, it means I'm sad." Right? It means I'm I'm sad. It means I'm anxious. It means I'm depressed. It means I'm afraid. Whatever whatever the trigger, the trigger is. And you have to then be careful because if you've had a past experience of when you're sad, you do a certain thing, okay, when you're sad, you open a bottle, when you're sad, you take a pill, when you're sad, you turn on Netflix, when you're sad, you go to Amazon and shop, when you're sad, you send a text message to that person who comforts you but ought not to be, when you're sad, sad, you do this thing, right? Or when you're sad, you go down a thought process, you go down a, a staircase Granger Smith and I talked about that. He has a slideshow when his little boy River drowned in the backyard. And he has this slideshow that happens. It flashes all these images, of doing CPR on River and calling the medics and, and finding his body in the pool and, and all the things that happen with their devastating loss of their little boy. And the problem for Granger is that that slideshow became uncontrollable he started following it down this stream of thought and he was seeing all the social media posts and terrible people out there saying you know oh he was neglectful and his child died and if he hadn't been a star he would have been in prison for you know manslaughter and all these horrible things that people said on the internet because Granger was a celebrity and he and his family you know had people attacking them when they didn't even know them and so that slideshow with Granger ended up on a tour bus with him drinking alcohol and having a gun in his hand and almost taking his own life because he let the slideshow and the feelings get away from him, okay? He didn't learn for a long time to biopsy that thought and say, wait a minute, yes, my son died. Yes, I'm terribly sad. Yes, it was devastating, but I'm still alive and God has a plan. I've got a wife and three other kids and and I've got a purpose and all that stuff that you you can... Hope yourself out of that hole if you're careful and diligent with your thinking, okay? Well, for me, the same thing happens, except for me, instead of a slideshow, it always felt like a staircase. It felt like there was this dark staircase that I went down to, and there was a door at the bottom, and I had this sense in my heart that if I could just open that door, I could get to Mitch and maybe be with him in his dying moments and help him, maybe save him, maybe take his place. I had this clear mental image that I was supposed to go down there. And I realized over time that, that 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 he wasn't there I mean the Holy Spirit rescued me from that line of thinking when I learned how to biopsy my thinking and change my mind about the fact that I can't go to some place in the past where my son is because he isn't there he's with his creator. I can't go back in the past and make any of that different I can't change it, but what happens still is something triggers the sadness then i'm and I'm if I'm unaware of it if I'm not sort of introspective about it. I'll go down that staircase again. And then I'll spend a day being kind of grumpy or sad or unable to make good decisions or not moving forward in my life now or, you know, irritable with Lisa or something because I'm not paying attention to what's triggering the feelings that I have. And today I just want to give you some perspective on that because I don't want you to think when we talk about changing your mind and changing your life and trying to become healthier and happier, and more hopeful and all that stuff. I don't want you to think that that means you won't ever feel sad, that there's gonna come a time when you stop being sad about the things that happened. Because that's not true. You and I live in this crazy mixed up reality where we've been through hard things and we have a, a beautiful, purposeful life. Also, at the same time, they're both and, not either or. We've talked about that a lot and I wrote about it a lot. The, the and or but, the, the massive thing can't be the only thing, it has to be a thing. And learning how to switch that and learning how to be careful not to go back into it is one of the keys of navigating even hard times of the year like this one. Now before we go any further, I want to remind you about our, our sponsors for this episode, Peak, P-I-Q-U-E, and Armra, A-R-M-R-A. These are two products that Lisa and I use every day. I mix them up in my Athletic Greens, it's a a nutrient probiotic, prebiotic, vitamin, mineral substance that I drink every day. I'm not a paid i I'm not a paid affiliate of athletic greens, but I do drink it every day. And I'll just remind you if you're gonna add a supplement to your diet or any kind of major change in your health especially if you have chronic health issues or take medications or if you're older, talk to your doctor before you add something. But PEAK and Armra help with immune system support. They support gut and the gut-brain interface, which is so important because I've told you before that your gut is like a USB port and what you, you stick a thumb drive in there and your brain gets everything that goes into your gut. If you're going to build new synapses and change the way you think and become more resilient, you've got to have good building blocks because if you build a house out of terrible materials then you're going to have a terrible house that's not very strong. And the same thing happens. The nutrients that you put into your gut become antigens that you create disease around or they become building blocks for the things the proteins and the and the molecules in your brain that you need and so put good stuff in there peak and armor help us and if you buy them through our links that you'll see in the show notes then it helps helps us to grow the podcast and all that stuff so check out the links in the show notes for peak and armor especially this time of year when we're gathering with people who have viruses and we're sneezing and coughing and all that stuff so peak and armor helping us get the podcast out there even farther and then help you become healthier and feel better and be happier. Okay. I want to talk for a minute about something that sort of, I was feeling all this sadness yesterday and weeping and realized that I was attached to somebody else's acute pain syndrome and I was, I was sort of letting that slide me back down that staircase. And that's what happens, okay? And I was taking a shower and I realized that we talk a lot about the stages of grief, right? We talk about Elizabeth kubler Ross's stages of grief all the time, and every, po- every psychology 101 class and every podcast and every website talks about when you've gone through something hard, how there are stages of grief, and it's true. But you've heard me say before, probably, if you've watched me interviewed on CBN or the 700 Club or on somebody's podcast, Theology in the Raw, or wherever else, you've probably heard me say this. Elizabeth kubler Ross's research was never intended to describe the type of grief that you have when you lose a child or your husband gets a brain tumor or you get fired from your job or you don't make it to the NFL or whatever the other massive thing is that you've been through. The stages of grief that she described were very specifically based on her research of what people do when they find out that they are dying. She was specifically looking at people with terminal illnesses and the way that they process that information as they address the fact that they're dying and go through the process of losing their life from a disease. And they pretty predictably fall through this this pathway of denial and anger and bitterness and depression or sadness and then finally come to accept it and making the ability to have their life not just be defined about the fact that they're dying, okay? The problem is that model has been widely discredited when you try to apply it to any other type of grief or loss that you've gone through especially doesn't work in trauma okay it just doesn't work the model isn't exactly right and so unfortunately society and the media and our psychology classes and and everybody have picked up every blogger out there have picked up on this idea that you're supposed to navigate in a relatively orderly way through the stages of grief and we start putting clocks on other people because we think we know how long it should take them to reach acceptance Or we think we can put our finger on what stage they're in by observing their behavior. And I'm just here to tell you, it's not true. There is not a stage, my friend. This is why I came here this morning to tell you this. There's not a stage after something devastating happens to you in which you will stop being sad. There's not. So if you think that sadness being the third stage of the stages of grief is something that you move past, you are sadly mistaken. And it's going to hit you hard, and you're going to start to feel like there's something wrong with you when you can't move past that stage. The problem is quantum physics describes this world in which multiple things can be true at the same time. And for me, that's a breakthrough. So as a scientist, as a nerd, I was more of a mathlete than an athlete. And as, as a nerd who thinks about such things, it made perfect sense to me that when I understood that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, and he also said, that I came to this earth so you could have an abundant life. When he said those things and then Hebrews tells us, God, it's impossible for God to lie and his gifts and his promises are irrevocable. That when I saw that all those things, if it's impossible for God to lie, if he never breaks a promise, then those two things have to be true at the same time that you can have a hard life and and abundant life at the very same time. And so what I'm here to tell you is if you think that there's a stage that you get to graduate from where sadness is in the past over what happened, you're gonna be really confused because if you don't have cognitive, if you, if you don't have some way to turn off your brain and stop thinking about it, you'll have to square up at some point that you have cognitive dissonance around this idea that you're supposed to not be sad anymore, but you know you are. And when cognitive dissonance rises up, we treat that. We, we become unable to avoid treating it with some something to try to make it numb. So it stops driving us crazy. And unfortunately, that's when people turn to the hydrocodone or to the alcohol or to the pornography or to the gambling or to the shopping or to the whatever. They turn to something to try to numb their brain from the fact that they know something that they say is true is not true. I've moved past this. I'm healing from it, but I know I'm not. Or... They finally acknowledge, I just can't stop being sad, and that means there's something wrong with me, and I'm stuck. And the fact is, there's nothing wrong with you. My son died 10 years ago in August. This is our 11th Christmas coming up without him. And I am as sad about that right now as I was the day it happened. But you know what's weird? At the same time, he's created. the Lord has created purpose and meaning out of that pain. And he's allowed us to find a life where we still have this incredible family and our granddaughter Scarlett and our grandsons George and Jace and Riker and our other four children, Josh and Katie and Kimber and Kalen and their spouses now, all of them married. And, And I'm just telling you that there's a life that has come alive. And in some ways, none of that would have been possible if we hadn't gone through what we went through. Go back and listen to me and Granger talk, and he talks about how they had another child and how... He came to know Christ and, and all these things that happened after he lost River that would not have happened if he hadn't lost River. And the, the quantum physics duality that's weird about all that is it doesn't make it less sad. It doesn't make you wish it that you'd be glad that it happened. It doesn't make that. It just means that it's, it's both and. that These things are true and you can live this life where you have some true things happening in spite of the hard thing. So, as it's sad that there's no stage where there's no sadness and there's no stage equally true, this is equally true, there's no stage of grief where the thing that happened didn't happen. It always happened. Remember gabriel Mate said, trauma is not what happened because what happened is out there and it, it, it is true that it happened. I lost my son, your husband got glioblastoma, your wife left you, Your your father abused you, whatever it was, that thing happened, okay? You went to war, you got bombed, You saw babies blown up and burned and all those things that I have in my brain. I have a a memory of a guy that came off the helicopter where a bomb had gone off and it blew a guy up, and the the guy that got blown up, his lower leg impaled this other guy in the chest. The broken shard of his tibia went through this guy's chest. And so I saw with my eyes this guy. My son-in-law, Nate, was with me. He wasn't my son-in-law then. He was my scrub tech in Iraq. And that's a story I told in No Place to Hide, how my son-in-law came from my scrub tech in Iraq. Anyway, we saw this guy. We helped this guy coming off the helicopter who had the lower leg, including the pants and the boot of another human sticking out of his chest. I can't stop seeing that, okay? That's part of the trauma that wraps up my brain that I've got in my head and my heart. And once in a while, that image pops back up. And I can't make that not have happened, okay? It did happen. But what gabriel Mate said is trauma is not what happened. It's your response to what happened. And the good news is you can change your response to what happened. You can learn how your brain triggers certain chemicals and certain feelings. And you can learn that those things are not happening in real time. You can observe them as an observer of something that happened in the past and you can understand based on all that you've learned and all the growth and change that you've done, you can learn to observe them and interact with them in a different way to say, yes, that horrible thing happened. Yes, I will never stop being sad about that. Yes, that traumatized me. Yes, I miss my son. But I also have a great life now. I've got an ability to move forward. I've got an understanding that that thing that happened doesn't have to be the thing that happened in my life. That massive thing doesn't have to be the thing. But what happens is, and this is where I'm going to circle back to Renovari as we started this episode, what happens here is sometimes you get sad and something devastating happens, and you just say, Why, God? Why does all this stuff have to happen? Why? And you too wrote a song a long time ago called Peace on Earth, and there's a quote, a, a, a verse where he says, Jesus, in the song you wrote... The words are sticking in my throat. Peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. Hope and history won't rhyme. What's he saying? He's saying the world's got all kinds of bad stuff happening in it, and it doesn't feel very hopeful. And history just keeps showing us over and over that hard things occur, and we've been through these massive things, and it doesn't feel very hopeful sometimes. And so, this guy that writes for that's the director of communications for Renovari, Brian Morgan, wrote this great post yesterday that was titled, A Fast and Slow Rescue. And here's what he's talking about. We cry out to God and we want him to rescue us. We want him to grab us and pull us up out of this problem and rip us out of this painful world or make all our problems go away. And somehow because of the secular theology around us in the world, we somehow believe that God doesn't care about us unless he makes things stop hurting or unless he makes stuff stop happening that's hurtful to us. And somehow we convince ourselves that because there's suffering that God can't be real or he can't love us or he can't be faithful or any of those things. But the truth is you got to look at the fact that there is a long narrative arc to the story of God's rescuing you. And if you read the Bible, in fact, if you're reading the the Bible project, one story that leads to Jesus with us that you started in January. And there are a number of listeners are reading that with us every day. We're almost at the end of this long story that started on January 1st that that tells the whole story of human history. And we're going to get to Revelation. And I don't want to spoil it for you if you've never read it, but we win. God keeps his promises. He is going to rescue you. And friend, the rescue is certain there will come a time when Psalm 103 comes true. You can wake up and pray that every morning like I do, and you can pray it over Tommy Walker music, and you can look at Jesus and say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless, let all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he lists five benefits of blessing the Lord that that you get from being a person who loves the Lord, and here's what they are. He forgives all your sin. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desire for good things so that your youth is restored like the eagles. Okay, Those are five things he is going to do because he keeps his promises. And so when you say, wait a minute, he doesn't heal all my diseases because my husband died of glioblastoma. Or, he doesn't redeem my life from the pit because my son got stabbed to death. Yes, but you got to look at the long narrative arc. Okay, There's a fast and a slow rescue happening here. Jesus was born in a manger. He, he was God's answer to the problem of suffering. But that baby didn't show up and go solve all the problems that day that he showed up in the manger, right? He came as a baby. He didn't have any power. He came as a, as an infant. And what happened is he grew up and he started showing people the love of God with his hands and feet and showing up like Drew Dick said, just show up and get out there and get involved and find your faith with your feet. And he did it. He walked around and solved problems and interacted with people and came alongside them. And he gave us a model of how he interacts with us and our suffering now. The suffering, Brian Dorkin wrote Brian um, Morgan writes, the suffering that surrounded Jesus throughout his life and the suffering he experienced firsthand did not suffocate him Humanity's hurt moved him. It did not overwhelm him. Sin broke his heart, but it did not break his joy. The birth and life of Jesus did change everything. It changed everything, but not in the way or on the timetable we had hoped. And listen to this. Brian wrote this beautiful piece. In the incarnation, God is saying this. Life on earth matters. People matter. Pain matters. God's paying attention. And he says this, when I made all, God says, when I made all, I made in the way I made it. I knew what I was doing. I understood the cost of free will, which I know may seem hard to believe. So I'll take on your frame. I'll experience all you feel and more. I'll show you how to live at peace in a troubled world, how to be an unhurried and healing presence. I'll come in the flesh to be an example to you. Then I'll come in the spirit to be life in you. My rescue will be fast. Your adoption will be quick as a hammer swing. My rescue will be slow. Millennia will pass before the fullness of the kingdom comes. My slowness is not cruelty or lack of care. On the contrary, I'm birthing a people of everlasting joy, and that takes time. And sometimes hope and history don't seem seem to rhyme, and sometimes you wonder, why is God taking so long to help me in my pain here? But the, the truth is, he's not. God, as my friend Dale Margaret says, God is never late, but he is seldom early. (laughs) I love that line. Listen, God's got a purpose for the pain that you're experiencing, okay? He's answering it. He's coming inside your story and walking alongside you, and he is going to redeem you and rescue you from it. He's gonna keep those promises. but It's gonna come on his timetable, and the reason is, is he says in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, I'm doing something you wouldn't even believe, he told Habakkuk, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And I'm just here to tell you, Lee Warren, your friend, who's a fellow suffering person, a bereaved parent, PTSD survivor, been divorced, been you know, wrecked in a variety of ways. And God has come alongside me and rescued me in that pain. He sent Lisa into my heart and life at just the right time. He's helped me develop a relationship with my children and with you and with all these people all around the world who read my books that have helped me navigate the loss of my son and find purpose for my life going forward. And it took me 54 years to figure out what my actual specific calling was. Because I thought it was doctor. And it turns out it is doctor. But it's not because I can do something with my hands. It's because I can help you understand what's hurting you and help find the best prescription to help it stop hurting as much so you can see things more clearly and move forward in your life and become healthier and feel better and be happier. That's my purpose. And I can do that. I love it. I love that I can go to the operating room and physically remove a ruptured disc and take that pressure off your sciatic nerve and make your leg stop hurting. I love that I can remove a brain tumor from your head and save your life and give you back your strength and help you stop having seizures. I love it. Okay. But I also have a purpose. It's about understanding why we hurt and how we hurt and help you understand it and navigate it, process it and find purpose and help you. End your suffering, some, because you start to understand purpose inside it. Okay, you've got a calling too. It's not just to swing a hammer or to file a brief or to close the books at, 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 at tax time. Okay, it's not just that. It's not just to change diapers and and drive your kids around. That's not your unique calling. Okay, you have a unique calling that can transcend the particular moment and time and it will last your whole life and it may look different over time in different ways, but you have it. And one of the things we're called to do is to live a life in which God's two promises are true at the same time without letting either one of them overwhelm us, okay? He came to give us an abundant life so we don't become hedonists and go after everything that feels good because woohoo! God gave us an abundant life. We don't do that. We also don't, however, understand that God says in this world you will have trouble and we don't drink ourselves to death. and We don't throw ourselves in a hole and say, please take me out of this world and and put a gun in our mouth because we're so sick of how hard everything is. We don't do either of those two things because we understand that the story we're in is one that ends in our rescue. But that rescue doesn't play out on the timetable that we can see. And we understand that our job is to reach back and let somebody else grab our hand and pull them forward to where they can find a little hope to stand on. And that's our job. And having meaning and purpose and understanding your unique calling will help you deal with even the sad days, even on Sadness Saturday, when you recognize that your tears are real because that trauma happened. That thing really did happen. And you can learn to observe and biopsy the thoughts, and you don't have to go down those rabbit trails of secondary and tertiary thoughts that aren't true or they're not helpful, or they're they're, they're actually hurtful or harmful to other people. And you can learn to biopsy your thinking with self-brain surgery. and Find a way to navigate and handle your brain in a healthier way and understand that thoughts become things and they turn into epigenetic switches that, that turn into how your children start their lives and the baseline that you give them. And so in the coming months on this podcast, we are going to go deep in understanding how we're wired so we can handle our brains with our minds in a healthier way so our brains help our bodies become healthier and we can handle our minds in a way that keeps them open and sensitive to the leading of the spirit because that's how we're connected to the internet of all that God has possible for us okay we're not just trying to become a little bit happier we're not just even trying to become significantly happier but we're trying to connect to the infinite source of all that there is our god and our creator we are created in his image so when we start firing on the cylinder that he has for us and the in the full capacity of the life that he has for us that's when we begin to navigate this duality of hard and abundant at the same time in a way that helps us and inspires others and the good news about all that my friend here on self-brain surgery saturday is that you can start today